0: pod episode 22 where we always discuss the latest Nebraska issues I'm April and here with me today are our co-host Stephanie and today we welcome Julia one of our other seeing red members to her first pod welcome Julia thank you April and thanks for having me
1: on I appreciate it
0: I think everybody should try the pod once don't you (laughs) definitely (laughs) it's it's something to hear yourself when you listen to it later, but I don't hate it.
1: I'm kind of dreading it. I usually, I do a lot of public speaking, but it's always an unrecorded situation.
0: <laughs> what I find funny is I will, I don't always listen to the whole thing, but I just want to see how it went and see if I like, oh yeah, that was how I thought it went. But my kids will hear it cause I might listen in the car and they'll be like, can we listen to you again, mom? And I'm like, yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh.
0: My husband did a pod recently for a comedy thing, and then they were asking, can we listen to Daddy again? I'm like, sure. (laughs) It's flattering that they,
1: in a few years, they'll be like, please don't put that on.
0: Oh, yeah. It's not far (laughs) off. My 11-year-old, oh, my God. I don't know how much longer I can live with her.
2: (laughs) I think about seven years. (sighs)
0: <sighs>
2: and then you'll have a couple years off and then she'll probably come back for a year or two. no
0: that's not gonna happen I'm not allowing <laughs> it I'm not allowing it fly a <laughs> little bird oh uh, no yeah so at our house we did have a good weekend um I've kind of taken some time off from some of my other seeing red things lately because personal life's been a little nuts but I'm back but um I took the kids like impromptu camping on Friday like we just went to the lake and then it was so good I was like I bet I could pack up the van and go camping tonight. And I borrowed a tent from Stephanie because our tent is broken (laughs) and a sleeping bag. They're all ready by the way, Stephanie. And uh, yeah, we just went back and I was like, no, we're not cooking over any fires, not for breakfast or dinner. No, we're just gonna go and like camp and we'll make s'mores and that'll be good enough. (laughs) (laughs) And it was great and we swam a lot. Yeah, and we were right by the water And so, like, it's such a big lake, Branched Oak, that, like, we heard waves all night. Like, we were by the ocean or something. It was crazy. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. What about you guys? What have you
2: been up to, Stephanie? I spent the weekend helping a friend do some COVID projects, if you will. Uh, Mm -hmm. Great decluttering. So, it was pretty fun. It does sound like,
0: I know it's weird, but it does sound like fun, because I really like to get rid of stuff.
2: Yeah. and, And organize. And I'm really close with them, so I gotta see pictures of my kid when she was little and her kids and lots of things that we've done together that we found as we were decluttering. So that's also
1: <laughs> you know, April, I bet you could make a second career out of that. I, I hear probably helping could. people helping people declutter probably could. these days.
0: <laughs> I call myself a wannabe minimalist because I don't like own a hundred things. I don't have a capsule wardrobe. But, like, I admire all of them. And, like, you guys, I'm a librarian, and I have one bookcase. One. Oh, my God. Well, the thing is, though, I borrow them. And I'm very practical. Like, yes, that was a really important book that I read ten years ago, and it's time for it to move on. <laughs> and actually, even for work, I've just bought a whole bunch of cotton dresses that are mostly plain and I'm just gonna wash them every day and wear some leggings or a cardigan with them when I need them and call it good. But yeah, I'm kind of ruthless. Stephanie said, maybe you could help me. And I'm like, you need to know though, I really am good at getting rid of stuff. (laughs)
1: Well, I'm, as it turns out, really good or maybe really terrible about not buying new stuff because I mm-hmm. injured my foot a week or two ago and I could not figure out like what I'd done, but I was having trouble even walking and I uh, just injured the bottom of my foot. And I eventually figured out that actually I had uh, broken my shoes which is a pair of sandals and they were just so old and i'd been like crouching and kneeling in them so often that i'd like snapped the sole and hadn't realized it and it was like stabbing into the bottom of my foot over and over when i walked Uh, and, and apparently i did not catch this soon enough that it became a kind of like you know repetitive injury bruise um and My husband was laughing at me and saying, this is so like you. I can't believe that you got an injury because you refused to go shoe shopping soon enough.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, again, I'm a wannabe minimalist. You're probably more than me because (laughs) shoes are something I don't mess around with. Like I buy good shoes and I buy them often. Like I don't have multiple pairs necessarily, but like they start to hurt a little, I'm like new pair. Okay. (laughs)
2: so talking about things we'd like to minimize i'd like to minimize some of the bad folks in the legislature so Mm. Um, what's the most interesting thing that happened in the you know week two of the three week right three weeks ledge session
0: yeah well they've only got seven days left as of today which i know this pot will come out in a day or two but um lots of they spent what lots of how many days on abortion You know during a pandemic
2: yet with that i don't even know if they're done yet
0: didn't
1: they consider the restraint bill for students again they
0: did
2: that did not work out thankfully
0: here i'm gonna say i'm gonna go on the record and say that i was wrong i we talked about this bill a long time ago um because i am an educator And uh, I am an NSEA member and they support this bill in its current form after they got him to add a bunch of stuff. I completely understand the teacher concern for safety. I completely understand um, the cluster (laughs) of issues that all come together to create this perfect storm of what do we do when a kid is kind of out of control Um, but then I did the smart thing and I educated myself and I learned a lot and I don't think that restraint or seclusion because they so often go hand in hand are going to help any child deal with their issues ever and I guess I was probably just looking at it too much of a surface level because honestly that's not a problem in my particular job and I just thought, oh, yeah, teachers should be safe and blah, blah, blah. But I think Patty Pansing Brooks put it really well. She was like, we need to scrap this and start over. If you want to help teachers and scrap it, and start over because there's too much junk in there. And I'm in support of that. <laughs>
1: I, I also just wonder why, given the magnitude and like tsunami of problems that we're facing thanks to COVID yeah. right now, that we had to use time during these three weeks to consider that point. Maybe right. I'm being insensitive to, to, to no. educators and the K-12 system, but I, it seems to me like if we, we asked them what they wanted the legislature to discuss, that that probably wouldn't be on the, the top of the list of challenges facing right. Uh, the school systems right now
0: well and the thing is with this shortened session and the delay they had they've only doing priority bills and that was groney's priority bill and that's his prerogative however he didn't have to bring it but we all know groney's gonna bring it so you know (laughs) anyway uh what
2: else did the legislature do um i was uh happy to see uh, the bill that Tony Vargas tried to bring, to suspend the rules for in order to get some protections for workers in our meatpacking industry across the state.
0: Yeah, um, it, it failed. He was not able to waive the rules. All of the usual suspects are to blame. Um, but did you say Matt Hansen is bringing something or doing something through a committee?
2: So what I happening is, is that uh, Tony is bringing in an amendment to a bill that's already in front of Matt Hansen's committee. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Um, but that will allow them to have some discussion of those things. And I believe that the he- hearing for that is Thursday, August 6th. Hmm. So that they can discuss the amendment to a bill that's already going to be able to be heard. It's a committee hearing? I believe so. It's a committee hearing on um, that amendment?
0: Well, I'm only asking because if our listeners are interested, committee hearings are open to the public for comment in opposition or support. So it, it might be worth your time. Um, Morfit also tried to pass an amendment to, you know, to actually help people during a crisis to stop evictions on renters and foreclosures on landlords because of COVID. And that failed. Again, the same usual suspects. I'm sorry if you can't pay your rent because you lost your job. You're mostly rural senators. Don't care.
1: <laughs> Surely and they have renters in rural settings as well.
0: Of course they do. <laughs> course
2: I also do. find that I read an article that was about the wave of uh, utility shutoffs that will be happening across the country um, mm-hmm. because of when they unsuspended that and some people couldn't they caught up on their energy bills. So it'll be really interesting to see how that pans out and what cities do to try to counteract that. I know Lincoln has really, really good programs uh, that usually have more funding than they use uh, to help people with utility bills. But I know a lot of communities don't have those kinds of resources, Um, especially when it's like the heat of August and people are losing their, you know, the energy that air conditions their homes. It'll
1: be terrible yeah i mean partially les is is good because it uh it is a like public utility right it's not a for-profit corporation that's providing that energy right as part of the kind of bringing electricity to nebraska especially the kind of rural el- electric program and so it has all of these you know like public power districts. And so they really are focused on the public and benefiting the public rather than making a profit. And that doesn't make all of them perfect, but it at least gives the opportunity for things like that program at at LES to help people.
2: It also makes our energy significantly less expensive here in Nebraska than most other places in the country. Weird.
0: Yep. (laughs) It's funny how taking out profit does that. Hmm. it's almost like people need electricity yeah funny story I once lived with a roommate I lived with her for a semester and then I moved home to student teach because student teach is like an unpaid internship <laughs> and so I moved home to uh, Iowa and she continued to live there and somehow something got lost in translation and my name was on the electric bill I didn't even realize because, you know, sometimes you have a gas and sometimes you have electric and sometimes you only have one. I didn't realize that we weren't getting our electric bill. And so I moved home for six or seven months and I in the fall. I moved back here because I'm engaged to my husband and stuff. And we get a new apartment and they're like, you owe us like $300 on your electric bill before you can get this new apartment. I'm like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And they're like, you never paid in your old house. And I'm like, I never got a bill. Well, then it turned out that the other roommate got the bill eventually, but she couldn't pay it. So she just kept going. And I was like, dude, I will pay my part, but you're going to have to pay your part. (laughs) But they never shut her electricity off. And they never... Um, I don't know so we got it all worked out but I don't I can't say that they would have been that kind if they were for profit
1: yeah six months is a long time
0: it was at least six months it might have been more because it was all like a year till the date that I went to this new apartment and found out about this bill
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> just a couple other things that I want to talk about in the news um It's very interesting how money gets spent. We always know that and what priorities are. Um, There's two I can think of. The first one the Nebraska Environmental Trust was set up as one of the things that lottery funds have to be spent on. I can't remember the three things. I know it's education, environment, and something else. And that trust board voted to defund five environmental conservation projects and instead to give $1.8 million of their lottery funds to gas stations for ethanol blend pumps, which is really just funding the ethanol industry and economic development. Even Pete Ricketts is out there saying, this could be so good for business. Um, but there is a group, I believe they're called Friends of the Nebraska Environmental Trust, who's trying to fight this. A lot of them are former board members, and, um, including like former Mayor Beitler, who established uh, the fund. And they're trying, because it's specifically against their statutory requirements that the money be used to protect the environment and saying that you're giving it to gas stations so they can make money off ethanol is like really eh, very
2: sketchy. It's actually a three million dollar program funded over three years so that people can apply for grants to put those pumps at their gas stations.
1: Well this is like an an anti-green new deal,
2: right? So Nebraska of them.
1: These things don't have to be opposite. I mean, like we, we can and should be putting money towards transitioning to a greener economy. And, you know, that involves like economic development and, you know, job training and economic growth and all the rest of that. But it also involves like doing it in a way that doesn't continue the damage to the environment.
2: Yeah, that was, that was money that was supposed to go to help like preserve wetlands mm-hmm. in our state. And instead we get more fossil fuel burning.
0: Well, and like the the friends of the trust group, that's exactly what they say. They're like, almost all of our conservation projects do end up helping the economy. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just, this is a blatant disregard of the trust mandate. And it's really frustrating. I
1: have to say, it sounds very similar to the expenditure of much of the public money that you see in the state. I mean, you know, many of the decisions we've seen with the COVID money are basically just kind of large giveaways to corporations that, you know, happen to have close ties with the people who are making those decisions.
2: Mm-hmm. That is that cronyism? <laughs> <laughs> the
0: legislature right now is working on a compromise bill that a bunch, of, has a bunch of tax breaks and incentives for business And it's like, that is not our priority right now. Like, you have to keep people alive. And honest to God, I feel the same way about the environment. Like, what do you care if there's businesses? If we have no environment, like the science is clear. The scientists cannot be ringing the alarm bells any louder that we are at a point of no return. We have to make serious giant steps forward right now, right now.
1: It is kind of incomprehensible. I I really struggle to understand the mindset here. If it's just a denial of those still of those kind of scientific warnings or, you know, like when when it when it's a choice between kind of supporting people who are poor, struggling versus giving money to the wealthy under the misplaced assumption that somehow jobs trickle down or something like that and then you know like I I see the ideological like tradition that might believe in that but when it becomes a choice of like you will die (laughs) or you know we can make some short-term profits then I, I start to kind of wonder about the calculation that's being made here it seems to me to be so off kilter that I can't even fathom like what the rationale of the people
0: making this decision might be The mental gymnastics are painful. It's hard. I I hope that's one thing that our pod and our website can contribute. Like, that's the only reason we all work so hard at this for free. Because once upon a time, I was younger, and I didn't know Jack. And I I didn't really live in Iowa as a voting age person for very long, because I moved here, and then I never left. Um, But I don't know anything about Iowa. I didn't know anything about Iowa politics and my family didn't particularly care. I can't say they didn't care. It's hard when you're just working, trying to float to care about being in the know on all the other crap. If anything, I think people know a little more now because since 2016, it's been such a rapid, (laughs) holy shit, what's happening next kind of thing. (laughs) that people probably know a little more but I don't know although still I mean it's you know
1: if you're just struggling to survive then asking someone to like you know watch hours at the legislature is a pretty mm-hmm. like high bar and even understanding what they're talking about with all the various kind of rules and procedures and that that govern the way those debates happen you know it's It's something that seems so far down the priority list when you're just trying to figure out how you're going to get groceries this week or keep your job or what have you. It just, I, you know, entirely understand why people check out from that or why they never get checked in in the first place. Yeah. And to that degree, I mean, like, these economic choices that our legislators make are actually anti-democratic, right? Like, every time the legislature ignores the kinds of bills that would allow people to stay afloat you know, like mm-hmm. like the, the amendment that Moorefield would have brought, that would have brought like relief to renters and foreclosures on landlords, like that would have given people a break, right? Like, and not just a financial break, but like a mental break in which they might have wondered like, wow, you know, like how did this happen? You know, like who did this? You know, like who voted for it? Maybe, you know, like, and, and, and they would have had, you know, just a bit more bandwidth to participate in our civic space. And so every time you know, the the legislature does this, then they
0: essentially kind of damage our democracy. And that's the real kicker, like, I promise this relates, but I always say that I'm just paranoid enough. (laughs) Like, there is a real conspiracy kind of going on. They don't want you to participate. They don't want you to know. They don't want you to be able to pay attention. And, and know about the crap they're doing but then there's the people but when people are like bill and melinda gates want to implant you with a chip in the COVID vaccine <laughs> that's not the right uh conspiracy <laughs> like it's so easy to believe a conspiracy because there is so much bullshit that happens right there, there are real things that are really bad but it, those are all a distraction. This is what I was trying to tell a family member who's trying to tell me there's a war on cash and that's the real reason there's a coin shortage and that they want to get rid of it because it says, in God we trust on it. And I was like, that's not a thing. That's not a thing. All of this is designed to just stop you from paying attention to the real problems. Like that we have a pandemic and our county and state, I mean, our, our country and state is doing jack about it. Jack. We could be like other countries. We have the people, we have the money, we have the resources, but we're not, we don't have the political will at the right levels. Even like Lancaster County, right? Like we have, or Lincoln, we have a mask mandate. That's all fine and good, but that's only a teeny tiny piece. And with a, with a governor that ignores every bit of the science in the name of business or freedom or whatever. Money. And with it's money. It's mm-hmm. always money. Um, and a president who doesn't even have two brain cells to rub together, then we're screwed. (laughs) Stephanie's laughing. (laughs) He doesn't. I,
1: I think, I think the way to think about this is, like, when you talk about conspiracy, it gives you this, like, sense that there's a bunch of, like, you know, fat, evil men smoking cigars in a back room, kind of aligning their plans to destroy you. <laughs> you know, like it, it, it kind of gives a sense of intentionality and, and collaboration, um, in, in the actions that are taken that end up oppressing people. And I don't actually think that's the way it works. Like the the outcome is the same. And so you, it is tempting to kind of go for the like, you know, intentional evil conspirators theory. But I think it's just an alignment of interests and attitudes towards different classes. And we don't talk about kind of the economics that divide us here because that's a kind of myth of America that we don't have classes or something. Um, and and. Yet when people look at like tenants rights, they will say, you know, well, you know, we don't need to provide any support for those people because they don't deserve it. And they don't deserve it because they haven't worked hard enough, because if you're poor, it's your fault. And if that's the mindset of people who, first of all, have probably never been poor, but mm-hmm. who kind of share that general belief, then it makes kind of anything you might do for them uh extra special charity Mm -hmm. for people who probably really aren't very deserving Um, and that's a totally different understanding of why people are poor than those you know on the left tend to have right which is first of all it's generational that we have structures economic and political that tend to filter money upwards rather than down and so you know in a way you know our our economic system is designed to keep people poor. And that, you know, the the kinds of relief bills that we provide are extremely limited and they're predicated on this idea that you have to somehow be deserving, which is both humiliating and it makes a kind of very narrow kind of line that people have to walk and they have to go through an enormous amount of paperwork to get this, which they don't have time for. And so, you know, in those kinds of, you know, uh, like means-tested bills that we're always putting through also in the end aren't particularly helpful. Okay? And so if if your attitude towards the, the poor and the working classes is that they are poor because somehow it's their fault or their parents' fault and it's continuing to be their fault, probably because they're insufficiently virtuous, because they don't work hard enough, because they spend the money they have on... Uh, unworthy things um, then you know like then why would you waste any time if you're a legislature you know like trying to roll back um, the situation in which they find themselves I mean why would you they don't deserve it so it's not a conspiracy but it is a mindset and it's mm-hmm. one that it's really important to be pushing back against because it's pretty widespread in our society I mean a lot of these means-tested yep. bills come from Democrats not from Republicans so
0: yeah God, think of all the things Bill Clinton passed. Oh, God. Welfare reform and...
2: I will say that I I think the good folks in the legislature uh, might not have gotten or aren't going to get probably lots of good things passed. Some things, not as much as we'd all like, but I think that they've stopped a lot of bad
1: stuff from happening. That's good. Tell us about it. (laughs) (laughs) I could some we're good news. About
2: people passing garbage stuff and people passing really bad stuff. I think the ledge has done a good job this session of keeping the, the bad stuff at bay and getting some good things through. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, then kudos for them because <laughs> anyone that's kind of making an effort here deserves some things.
2: Just get some adults making a little bit of effort. I think things would get better. Just a few adults in power.
0: I, the other thing I always want to remind our listeners is that your local, we always say this, but your local votes are mm-hmm. always so much more important than your national votes. Like, yeah, yeah Ben Sass, we wish he would vote for some coronavirus relief and crap like that. And yeah, we wish we had a better president. But oh my God, like uh, the Douglas County Board that, ju- uh, that just voted for... Um, to spend 1.8 million coronavirus relief dollars on a mobile command vehicle.
2: It's a tank.
0: It's a tank. And then they're like, well, we could use it for rural vaccinations. First off, Douglas County is hardly rural. Hardly at all. And second, like, that's a bunch of BS and you know it. Like, think of how many renters that could have helped. Think of how many tests that could supply. Think of how many... Omaha didn't have a Chromebook for every kid in their school district. Like, I'm not saying that that's what that board, you know, decides, but like the whole point here is that your local people matter. And so if you have a very little amount of time to spend on knowing who represents you focus local, your school board, your city council, your County boards, like, I know you don't know those people, but look for those people in your newspaper and online. Don't worry about Trump. We all know about Trump and you know what to do, listeners, <laughs> come November. And you know what to do about Fortenberry and Sass and all those other people, but it's not Sass's turn, is it? I don't know. But focus local because those are the ones that truly affect your lives the most. And probably the highest up version of that is your state legislator. You need to like do a little research on your state legislator because you probably, it's real easy to just vote for the person you've heard of before and not realize just how much they're not voting in your interests, like Julio is saying.
1: So this will make all the difference between whether your kid gets a Chromebook or whether the vaccination tank rolls up to your doorstep. Yeah.
2: Well, and that like board also voted not to allow or not to require a mask mandate. And I think today that it was announced that the Omaha City Council might mandate uh, masks in Omaha. Pete Mecherson. Mm-hmm posted about it which
0: they're kind of in a quagmire right like uh, i don't know um so the thing with lincoln lincoln put like all their crack people on looking for a loophole and they were like okay here's our loophole the lincoln board of health was founded before the state board of health therefore you don't get to control us and we can make a mask mandate and we're going to try it and so they did it and so far nothing has happened only because the governor hasn't yet found a way to contract that, but maybe he will. I think if the, Ca-
1: Omaha, if the Douglas du- County uh, mm-hmm. attorney put on a tuxedo, he might be inspired <laughs> to come up with a brilliant legal strategy for getting
2: this through.
0: Tux Kirkpatrick. We still don't know why that guy is wearing a tux. <laughs> no, that did day. that ever he come was, out?
2: No, I think nobody was, knows. I think it was his last day at the office.
0: That's still funny, and I, I feel like that's he that's should have said California something. California. So we should, California. we could all laugh. He should just say it. He did it for funny then, but it's
1: hilarious.
0: <laughs> I even asked like a friend of his, and she was like, "I have no idea." <laughs> um, but so Douglas County doesn't have that we were established first rule. So if the city council tries it, it's going to be a real big if. And the governor is already like, "Oh yeah, we will threaten you." Well, and I think that
2: maybe. Omaha, will be like, you haven't went after Lincoln, leave us alone too, right? Well, they'll probably come after both of us, Omaha. won't they? In that county, well,
0: I just wish the governor would keep his hands in his own pockets. I don't know, <laughs> like do your own thing, leave <laughs> us alone. Like we're trying to do the best we can. I I can't even believe that. I mean, what's his argument that it's like a freedom thing, which is BS, but what other argument even is there like Mm.
2: i i went downtown last night to get curbside pickup and i cannot i mean i think total driving all the way downtown getting our food and then driving all the way back out of downtown home i think we saw maybe 10 people wearing a mask oh god total and there was like lots of people out not as many as you know normal but there were lots of people nobody was wearing a mask so it was uh, so
0: hard i mean first off outside I don't know no, wear
2: but a mask. But I'm not bar hopping. I'm
0: not going into restaurants. Right. Yeah,
1: I went by a series of, like, Little League games on the, that I could kind of see from the bike trail the other day. And, yeah, there were very few masks there. And some people were far enough apart that maybe, you know, that made sense. But there was a lot of people smashed together on the bleachers. And, you know, a lot of kids, obviously, kind of. Sitting next to each other, crashing into each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, it made me queasy. I
2: know. Yeah, my neighbors had a party, and there had to have been like 100 people there, and everybody was like drunk, leaning on each other. I was like, right. we're all gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: and the, again, this is all a failure of the leadership, like the higher up leadership. We could have been done with this months ago, or we could have been much better months ago but their failure to act has left us to this point where everyone's just like, screw it. I'm tired. I got to graduate. I got to celebrate my high school kids sometime might as well. You know, like I kind of get the mindset cause it's been so long. Here's another example. This isn't Nebraska, but a good friend of mine lives outside Seattle, but in King County. So it's like hotspot is where it all started and um, they're still doing terrible. And um, they've already announced, it's only August 2nd, they already announced like on July 31st that school starting in September will be remote. They're a month away and they've already announced that. Mm-hmm. And it's just crazy to think they closed schools in March. It's September, Was that, seven months? Mm-hmm. And we still don't have a handle on this? where it's safe to go to school, Mm -hmm. that's insane, Mm -hmm. that's insane, kind of to Stephanie's point about masks, locally here in Lincoln, we do have a mask mandate, and there is a big brouhaha this weekend at Madsen's Bowling, Um, they have not, they have a sign on the door that says masks are optional, which they're not, and they have not tried to enforce it all. And lots of people not wearing masks. They were hosting a big pool tournament, mm-hmm. and uh, they went in there and said, "You have one hour to close down." And the guy was like, "No." <laughs> and it's kind of hard. Like, obviously, I don't want this to become like something that disproportionately impacts the poor or minorities or anything. Um, But the the ordinance doesn't have a lot of teeth to it always. And I don't want, like I wouldn't want like every person at a grocery store accosted over it. But like hy is like, well, we'll give you a mask, but they're not making you take it, you know. But at Madsen's, um, they were having a big pool tournament and they didn't have enough masks and social distancing at all. And they said no. And um, and now they're going to go file some sort of court action on monday but they didn't actually make some clothes no they didn't go in they didn't
1: go in there and like shoot a whole bunch of flashbang grenades and tear gas (laughs) into the room and then arrest everyone for breaking an incredibly minor ordinance like you know walking on the
0: street or something after nine or whatever yeah (laughs) yeah no they didn't isn't that weird that weird hmm it's almost like uh young people and protesters don't get treated the same. Interesting. Yeah.
2: I think it's appalling. I'm just going to be frank. The whole situation. Completely. Which ridiculous.
0: one? Madsen's or the...
2: Yeah, well, all of it, but mostly that's what I was talking about right now.
0: Yeah. I have not heard great things about that owner of Madsen's. That he's always been that kind of guy, so no one was terribly surprised but i do hope that the court action at least has some teeth to it otherwise i mean other businesses who feel similarly are going to be watching they're going to be like well nothing happened to that guy you know right i don't want an example made out of him necessarily i just want them to follow the correct steps and if they said you can't and this is a consequence then he needs the consequence
2: I also see where some of these businesses have been closed and very slow for a very long time. And the idea of probably mm-hmm. of having a large gathering where they're going to be people ordering things and patronizing their business is probably mm-hmm. something that a lot of these small businesses really need, right? I mean, it doesn't matter how yeah. long you've been in business, there's regular expenses they have to take care of. So. I hope that wasn't the sole motivation behind this more like, no, we're not going to close. We're actually having the first good day we've had since, you know, February.
0: Well, from what I read, he kind of claims that was part of it. Like, because business has been down, obviously.
1: I totally understand that. And that, that is where, you know, like our leadership has failed, right? Because Mm -hmm. this is entirely predictable. You know, if you're a small business owner, then your choice, you know, is the death of your business or, you know, the, it, which might involve your own personal bankruptcy or being a little slack on the mask law. Like, you know, like I, I, I get why people are doing that, but that is precisely why the some of those millions of dollars that were provided to the state need to be going to supporting small businesses and allowing them to say, like continuing to pay their employees so that it's not, um, you know, something that's still on their payroll um, yeah. and the employees continue to get paid and don't get evicted, don't lose their jobs, right? You know, like this, this yeah. is things that like other countries did and that's part of what it, like protected their economy is that they went heavily into this. They totally shut down. It quashed the, the spread of the pandemic while preserving the economy so that when they could lift the pandemic restrictions, everyone came back because they had all been paid, they had all had their bills paid, like, you know, like that's what we use the public money for. That's how we protected the economy, not by endangering people's lives.
2: Yeah. Well, and like,
0: that's the whole point of government. People existed for eons, but they started working together as a cohesive unit to create a better good for everyone. That's what government is for. Like, oh shit, you can't help it that there's a pandemic and no one can go inside and touch their same bowling balls. Okay, we'll keep you afloat so that you can come back.
1: Well, we'll have to and see we're... what what effect on the economy that this particular plague has. You know, one one of the last big major worldwide plagues, uh, the the Black Death in the 14th century, is one of the drivers of moving from. Uh, feudalism to early capitalism in in Europe at the time so maybe this is the moment when our our, our economy radically changes in some profound way from a kind of late capitalist one to something entirely different
0: So you need to tell me just a little bit more about that Can you give me like the layman's short version of how the plague led to capitalism a bit? (laughs) Because I've read a few books about the plague but not that connection Uh,
1: Partially um, the the way in which um previous uh kind of the the economy was previously supported right is that like landowners and the people who lived on the land had um kind of extensive contracts with each other and it wasn't just that the landlord owned the land and could do anything he wanted with it there were like certain understandings about what would happen to the people on the land um what they could do with you know how they could use various aspects of the land and in in return, the the economic produce that they would provide to the landlord um, and that Lord would provide them with things in return. And then when the population is so profoundly demolished, you know, Europe loses like a third of its population. Um, then uh, at least, you know, in in some estimates, it's more. Uh, And then, so let's say, you know, you're one landlord and like a third of the people on your lands disappear. Then first of all, like the question is, well, you know, what happens in terms of those kind of long agreements? One of the things that happens is that uh, people who are working are able to like renegotiate because they're like, well, you know, we know you have all these crops on your land that you want harvested and cared for. But, you know, I think actually, we shouldn't have to do as much because there's fewer of us and we can't do it. And so like the the workers get more, you know, uh, uh, the, the commoners at the time get more leverage to renegotiate some of these um, arguments um, mm-hmm. or agreements with those who have traditionally kind of owned the land. Um, and then similarly, like some landlords choose to transfer like the use of that land into something else that will, that will provide them with money to keep kind of living in the way that they've been accustomed to. So one of the things that kicks off in England in particular is something called enclosure in which they, uh, instead of growing crops on some lands, they instead just put a fence around it and raise sheep because wool gets sold at a higher price and so Mm. they can make more money off of sheep than they can off of say grain Um, and it takes a lot of people to uh, grow grain and harvest grain but it only takes you know one family to watch a herd of sheep Um, and so it just it radically kind of shifted the entire um, set of agreements and expectations around the land because the population changed so radically and the land use changed along with it Mm. that's my kind of shorthand understanding of it and this isn't something i've read extensively on because it's a little earlier than the the period that i study. but i see the results of all of the kind of shifting of land use into something that's more capitalist and it also leads to a sense of landlords getting to do whatever they want with their land which was different than the kind of feudal agreements which went back through time and were reciprocal they weren't equal Mm -hmm. you know by any respect but they were reciprocal and then after that you know European uh, landlords, certainly, at least in England, were like, well, this is my land and I can do whatever I want with it. And they start making that case in court and the courts start siding with them. And so it actually changes the kind of idea of people's relationship to land, um, that it was something that you could kind of sovereignly own. And that meant you can do whatever you want, not that you were the person who had stewardship over a set of land and agreements on how that land would be used that had developed over hundreds of years. that actually, I mean, like it was at that moment that European um, uh, navigators start kind of pushing their way into the Americas. And so it also then, you know, like affects the way they think of the land that they expropriate here that it wasn't land that had to kind of respect previous agreements or understandings about its use, but instead it would just kind of, you know, they would have sovereign control over that land and be able to do whatever they want with it. It was, it was Hmm. alienable as it were. It was was property that could be owned.
0: Hmm. Wow. I love all of your historical knowledge that you bring to the table. We're going to have to have you on again on the pod. Um, Julia, have you been reading any good books lately that we can tell our audience about?
1: Well, I took the time, a little time this summer to educate myself on the history of police and policing um, in the country because I realized, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) like there were all kinds of great podcasts, you know, with authors discussing this. And there was a, a recent book out by a historian called Simon Balto. Um, uh, that was published uh, by the University of of North Carolina Press um, called Occupied Territories. And it's, uh, or territory, it's a history of policing in Chicago. Um, It's policing black Chicago from red summer to black power. And It started, like, really far back, and so it was fascinating to kind of watch the development of policing through, you know, the things that I'd heard about, like, you know, these kind of black site torture chambers that they had in Chicago um, that only recently got, you know, exposed and shut down.
0: Hmm. I might have to read that one.
1: I, I recommend it. A little scholarly you know so you have to, to yeah. put up with just a, a, a touch of annoying kind of you know jargon then obscure prose but
0: <laughs>
1: but it, it's like, worth it
0: I like the nonfiction that has a, a story kind of with it that follows people that really helps me not because I can't read scholarly but it just helps hold my interest I guess I don't know yeah <laughs> since I'm reading this just for pure knowledge attainment for my own self <laughs> Yeah, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Oh. Well, thank you, Julia. I hope you'll come back sometime. Yeah, you and, uh And Stephanie, you take care. Keep, Keep that it's guarding calling. going. It's and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks, April. Bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Seeing Red Nebraska, Politics from the Left. Seeing Red is a group blog edited by citizen volunteers and entirely devoted to Nebraska politics. You can support us on Patreon with a $5, 10 or $20 a month donation. Be sure to check us out at seeingrednebraska.com and on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter at seeingredne or contact us via email at seeingredne at protonmail.com.